I was walking around with Deb and Josh at Rural King yesterday in Lebanon. And, you know, we last, last week we started, uh, you know, this, this two-part sermon on anger. And, and we're, we're walking in Rural King, we're outside and we're in the, we're in the plant department outside and, you know, it's like 75% off, everything's dying. And so they're like, yo, please take this stuff away. And there was this lady walking around with her cell phone and she was pacing like a lion back and forth in the plants and she was just, and she was talking and she was saying, oh, this person and he doesn't and I'll tell you what. And, and she said, boy, I'll tell you, my doctor, he doesn't need to give me anger management pills. He just needs to give me anger pills and she keeps walking around and, and I was amazed at just you know this whole she was so frustrated inside and I want you to think about that because we're going to use it a little bit later on but she's like I don't need anger management I just need anger pills it was like this constant flow of frustration that she was going through and honestly it was written all over her face that for years you could just tell that this poor woman had struggled for years in this area and it didn't look to me like it was going to end anytime soon, especially with that comment. I don't you know, She obviously was on some kind of anger management medication, but she was saying, I don't need this medication. I need medication to let me be even more angry. Well, in James chapter one, verses 19 through 22, we read this last week. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So last week, like I said, we started this two-part sermon called Slow to Anger slow to anger. I didn't want to just rush through it. So we're, we, we're going to slow it down. Like I, we said last week, and we're going to talk about this in, in greater de- detail. We said that God isn't just, God's word is not just meant to be preached or meant to be taught. It's meant to be lived out in our lives. We're supposed to apply it to our lives. We said that uncontrolled anger, okay, is one of the most detrimental, destructive forces in our lives. And so what James is doing is he's giving us a crash course on anger management. He wants to help us control our anger. Because we said this last week, our emotions are the most difficult thing for us to control. And anger is number one for most of us on that list. We also said that there's righteous and unrighteous anger, right? Not all anger is bad. But it needs to be controlled and expressed in an appropriate way. How do we express our anger? Anger in and of itself is not sinful. It's how we express it. We need to control and express our anger in an appropriate way. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. It doesn't say anger is a sin. It says in your anger, do not sin. So we, it's okay for us to get angry sometimes. Like we said, there's righteous anger. But in your anger, do not sin. James is saying, think, think and listen before you speak. Think and listen before you act, before you respond. When someone does something to you, you feel they're doing it to you. He's saying, think, listen to what the other person is saying. Get with them. Talk them through it. Try to understand their perspective. Think and listen before you act. Think and listen before you speak. We said that Jesus didn't get angry when other people did and said things to him. 
Instead, Jesus got angry when when he saw indifference to human suffering. That's when Jesus was frustrated. That's when Jesus got righteously angry, when he saw an indifference to human suffering, when something was going on and people were like, well, that's their problem. That's when Jesus got upset or when God's holy name or character were being slandered. Those were the two major areas where you saw Jesus get righteously anger, indifference to human suffering. And when God's holiness, okay, was being slandered, when his holiness and his character were being slandered. So now what kind of what kind of things make you angry in your life? Think about it. What are what are those touch points where you can say, well, someone does this to me. I get angry for some of you. And it was so funny. People came in and had different experiences in cars this week and, and let me know about it. And how 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 my uh, how my wave theory is, is somewhat flawed. You know, what I mean, depending on <laughs> because some people do some things that are so ridiculous that even if you get the wave, you're not interested. You know what I mean? And you still lash out a little bit. But um, but one of the things, sometimes we get angry when we're in the car and someone cuts us off for some for some people. That's all it takes. Their, their, their anger is right below the surface. All it takes for someone to do something like that, and they get real upset. Is it, it, do you get angry when someone bests you maybe in a business deal? That really sets you off. You, you, know, you, pr- you pride yourself on, on being a business person, and someone gets the better of you in a business deal. That makes you angry. Do you get angry when you feel that you don't get enough recognition? You're at work or you're on the team or whatever the case may be, or, or maybe even at home, you don't feel like you're getting enough recognition. Or maybe you get angry when you don't feel like you're getting what you think you deserve. You think that you deserve something else. You deserve more. You deserve whatever, whatever that is. I mean, take a little nuances here and put them in your life. But you get angry about those things. And what James is saying is he's saying that is not a leg- those are not legitimate reasons for Christians to lash out in anger things done to you things that you perceive in your own mind a lot of the times they're just perceptions in our own mind we think someone wronged us and james is saying hey you can get upset by those things but you need to sit down with the lord and walk through them but he's saying those are not legitimate reasons for us as believers in jesus christ to lash out in anger he says that type of anger does not bring about The righteous life that God desires. Because what is he trying to do here? He's trying to help us to live out our faith. That's what James is trying to explain. How do, how do you live out? You call yourselves followers of Jesus. You call yourselves Christians. And what James is saying, if you call yourself a Christian, I'm going to help you live out your faith. He's telling us here to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. Don't just, don't just listen, but do what it says. He's saying this will help you as we go through, as you read the word of God, this will help you. Become more like Jesus Christ, because ultimately, like we said last week, that is our goal, right? The goal of every single person in this room, period. What is my purpose? You ask your ultimate purpose is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Let that don't let that just go in one in one ear out the other. Okay, listen, your goal, your purpose, the meaning of your life ultimately is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. People say whoever dies with the most wins. As a Christian, whoever dies the most like Jesus wins. That's really the goal. That's the ultimate. That's the pinnacle. That's where we're all striving to reach. 
We want to become more like Jesus Christ. And that's what James is saying. And see, a righteous life, according to James, does not include anger that is expressed without control. It does not include a life that is an anger that is expressed without thought. See, a true believer, according to James, has a desire in their hearts. Do they do it all the time? No, I'm not saying they do. But James is saying a true believer has a desire in their heart to please God. And that includes in the area of our feelings, how we control our feelings. This is so difficult, it's unbelievable. I'm just acknowledging that again up front. What I'm explaining to you this morning from the book of James is extremely difficult. But James is saying your goal is to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Your goal is to glorify God. Your goal is to please God. And that includes this area of our feelings and our emotions. But that is as easy to say, very difficult for us to do. Okay, so then how do we handle our anger? Because we all have it on some level. Some of you never show it. You say, well, I don't have an anger issue. Well, maybe you're not expressive in your anger, but it's there. It's still there. It's still a stream in your life that's kind of flowing through. It's there. You just express it. I've had people that I've, that I've known very, very, very close with in my life who express their anger. They're, they're more um, passive-aggressive. They don't come right out and aggressively. Some people, some people get right in your face and people, oh, I don't like those people. I like them for the most part. As long as they handle it correctly, they come and they tell you exactly what they're thinking. They're frustrated and they're going to tell you right to your face what they're thinking. And you think that person has an anger problem. There's a lot of other people who are passive aggressive. They kind of get you back without you knowing it. You know what I mean? But they, but you say, well, they don't have an anger problem. Well, sure they do. It's just expressed in a, their personality is different. Their anger is the same. Their personality is different and they're expressing it in a different ways. So how do we handle our anger? In James 1.19, it says, listen, be quick to listen, quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. Just let that sink in for a second. I mean, I, it's amazing. I have this week. I use this passage so many times. Quick to listen slow to speak, slow to become angry. James is saying that if we are slow to hear others, if we're not, if we're not listening to other people, it breeds misunderstanding, right? This isn't rocket science. If we do not listen to the other person's perspective, if we don't listen to what they're saying and try to understand it, it breeds misunderstanding and it could cause us to burn with an unjustified, in many cases, I mean, how many times have you lashed out and then had to go, oh, oh, sorry, I didn't re- I didn't realize or I didn't think or I should have. It, 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 it causes us to these misunderstandings, if we don't listen, cause us to burn with an unjustified and unrighteous anger and behave in a way we then we then behave in a way that does not please God. That's what James is saying. Man's anger, human anger, does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. The way we, the way we handle anger in general in the world, okay, all over the world, and, and many times within the church, does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. See, we're in a bubble. 
we have a, I have a, we have a men's group that meets on Wednesdays at seven o'clock in the morning. Uh, every Wednesday over here in the, in the office building. You know, you're welcome to join us. Anybody can join us. If you're a guy, you can join us up there at seven o'clock. And we talked about this and what we talked about was that we live in a bubble in our own little bubble world sometimes. And we think about what's happening to me. What are they, what are people doing to me? How do I, we are very individualistic in this culture. Okay. It is a, it's a, it's a good thing and a not so good thing. It's a not so good thing when we start focusing just on ourselves and what I'm all focused on what you all are doing to me, what your words are doing to me, what your actions are doing to me, how you affect me. That is not a biblical worldview. Philippians says, consider, consider, Philippians 2 says, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not only look to your own interests, but also the interests of others. In other words, we have to be thinking outside of our bubble and saying, how can I engage and how can I help and how can I think about other people? But the problem is, because we're human, we think about ourselves first. And then when someone does something to us, we lash out because we feel we feel justified that you have verbally or in some way harmed me. So I am now justified and lashing out and harming you back. And James is saying that does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. That's not what God is looking for. When we rush to judgment, when we jump to conclusions, when we speak before we think, we, we, we run into the problem of sinning, okay, in our anger. You can be angry. If someone did something to you, it's okay to be angry. Then the question is, how do I then handle my anger? How do I respond? And what James is saying is, hey, one of the things you need to do is you need to listen to avoid the problems that you face in your life and the things that come up and how you get yourself in a pickle because you don't think before you lash out and say something to someone at work or someone at home. He says, listen, take the time to listen. Listen to one another. Talk it through first. And more than that, even, even more significant than that, he, he said, listen to the word, God's word, and listen to God's spirit. And he, and he makes this point, he drives this point home by using the analogy of a mirror, okay? And in James chapter 1, verses 23 through 25, it says this, Anyone who listens to the word... But does not do what it says like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and then after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But listen to this. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If you if you follow this through, he's saying you will find blessing in your life. Overall, it's a principle of scripture. If you behave in this way, as difficult as it is, your life will be better off. You will be blessed by God. You will have a blessing. What is a blessing? A a blessing comes with peace and joy and contentment. You will have these these inner qualities that other people don't possess. God will bless you if you continue to do what he's called you to do. See, today we talk, Jay uses this idea of a mirror. Today, uh, we think of mirrors in a totally different framework. Because today, mirrors are everywhere. They weren't before. When James was writing this, mirrors weren't everywhere. We have mirrors in our cars, right? We have mirrors in our homes. We have mirrors in our church. We, have mir- we carry around mirrors sometimes, right? I'm not saying it's wrong. 
you have a mirror, you're looking, you know, mostly women will carry a mirror around and say, oh, is I, oh, I got a little smudge there. I got to fix that, whatever. You know, that's OK. We have mirrors everywhere. We work out. We have mirrors. We have mirrors here, there, everywhere. We all. That's not the case. Mirrors were not rare. They're not rare today. They were rare before. They were usually made out of a, a bronze, a, a very shiny metal. Some some like usually bronze and it reflected, but it was extremely expensive in his day. But a mirror basically helps us look at ourselves. Correct. Let's walk this through for a second. This is important. A mirror helps us look at ourselves. The word of God is like a mirror. This word, his word is 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 like a mirror. When we hear the word of God, like we're doing this morning, okay, or we read this, so we, we hear it when it's preached, when it's taught, when we hear the word of God and when we read the word of God, we get the opportunity to examine how we appear in God's eyes. So we're looking intently into the mirror, the word of God, and it allows us to see who we are in relation to God. It allows us to see uh, how we appear in the eyes of God, God lays out how we're supposed to look. What do we say in the beginning? We're supposed to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. How do you know you're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? Because you look in the mirror. And so you're looking in the mirror. And so by looking in the mirror, we get to see Jeff Greer looks in the mirror and he starts to read and he begins to realize when I was growing up, I loved the New York Rangers. OK, hockey team loved them. My before I became a Christian going to start going to church, my Sunday consisted of, you know, starting out with the NFL today as early as humanly possible. OK, watching football. It's what's coming. Then watching the one o'clock game and then watching the four o'clock game. And then at seven thirty, for the most part, seven fifteen, seven thirty, the Rangers hockey game came on and we watched that. And then we watched the highlights of the Rangers hockey game and all the football teams and whatever else. That was my day. And one of the things I loved about the Rangers is Nick Fatiu. Nick Fatiu literally was a Golden Gloves boxer on skates. That's what he that's what he was. He, he scored maybe one goal a year by accident. OK, when he was when he was fighting with someone, the puck got past him and hit his skate and he got credit for it or something. He, he never scored. He was an enforcer. And back in the 70s, OK, back in the 70s, it, that was allowed a lot more than it is today. Fighting was constant in hockey. I love Nick Fatiu because Nick Fatiu could beat everyone up. And we were losing. It was great. Send Nick out there. He beat someone up. You feel better. That was a great fight. I became a Christian. Love Nick Fatio. And all of a sudden, Proverbs talking about how we shouldn't hold up a brawler as an example. That's not what we That's not how a Christian behaves. Holding up someone who's a brawler as an example for your life. And I realized, I, wait, look in the mirror. Yep, I do that. So if I want to be conformed to the image of Christ, I can't have heroes who are brawlers and just pick fights. And that's the that's the name of their game. So I looked intently into the mirror and realized that this is one area that I need to change in my life. I could I can't hold people like that up as examples. So we need to look in the mirror. It helps us to see our flaws. It helps us see the flaws in our character. You ever go in a hotel room? You ever see that? You ever, uh, the mirrors in a hotel room, just keep them off, okay? I don't know what it is. You think they would put mirrors in there that made you look like the, that real soft light. So you're like, ooh, boy, I love this hotel. I'm good looking. You know what I mean? Instead, you walk in there, and usually you're getting out of the shower or something. You're like, oh, ho, 
holy moly, what happened there? You know what I mean? It's like this fluorescent light that every flaw in your whole being is exposed or whatever. And, and that's kind of what it looks like. But here's from the word of God standpoint. What the Word of God does, it helps us, honestly, drill down and see the flaws, the sins, the, 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 the behavioral patterns in our lives that need to be changed. And by reflecting, James' idea of reflecting, by reflecting on the Word of God, I, I read it, I see it, now I reflect on it. And it reflects, and it helps me bring about the changes that I need to see in my life. So I become less like Jeff Greer and more like Jesus Christ every time I read it. That's what he's saying. You can't just read the word of God and walk away and forget. Like, like, you, like you forget what you look like. That's what he's talking about. Because before, again, rare mirrors, okay, they were rare. They didn't have mirrors like today. But you understand the concept here. Who, who here looks in a mirror? Who forgets what they look like for the most part? We know what we look like. We're not confused when we look in a mirror. James is saying the person who reads the word of God does not apply the word of God. It's like a person looks in the mirror and walks away and forgets what they look like. He's saying you cannot do that. We need to let that, let that reflection change who we are. See, unfortunately, unfortunately, we too often look into the mirror, if you will, and we don't, we, we really don't let it reflect ourselves. What we end up doing is we, we let it reflect on someone else and see how they measure up. We're more cons- I'm more concerned how you measure up than I am about how I measure up. I'm more concerned about turning the mirror away from me and reflecting on you and saying, man, I don't think this person never, they should. I'm more concerned about how it reflects you or where you measure up or your flaws or your, your idiosyncrasies, your personality difficulties, rather than looking at my own and saying, this is something that I need to work on. I need to work on this. We don't, we don't use mirrors, okay, to look at others. We don't. You want to look at someone, you look at them. We don't use mirrors to do that. We use mirrors to look at ourselves. And each one of us is responsible to use the word of God in a way that helps us correct those sins, those flaws, those personality issues. Right. That's what he's saying. Look at the mirror at yourself. Reflect on what you see. Reflect on what you see. What does it say here? Be silent before walking through. Okay, I need to handle myself next time I get with my boss. Next time I get with my son or daughter. Next time I talk to my wife. Next. Here's how I should handle that. I'm reflecting. I'm not doing that right now. This is what God's word said. This is something that I have to do. And that's what James is explaining to us. Don't worry about looking in the mirror and looking at everyone else or reflecting it on them. Focus on yourselves. Okay, so I want to I want to close out here um, with one last issue. And uh, so everybody take a deep breath. All right. Ah, put your feet underneath the chair because I might step on your toes a little bit. But I'm going to tell you up front, I promise you before the Lord, I've spent time praying about this, thinking about it. I'm not saying anything going forward that is not out of love for you and for me, okay, for myself in a sense of I want to grow as well. I want to be more like Jesus. So this is a let's be more like Jesus discussion. But here's the thing. So many people are angry most of the time. Talking about anger, okay? They're, I, they're angry most of the time. They live in a constant state of agitation. Let me illustrate with this little quick video clip from the Avengers. Dr. Banner, now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret, Captain. 
I'm always angry. That's my secret, Cap. I'm always angry. And I, I thought about that. I, I thought about this and I thought about that cliff. And I thought, yeah, that's exactly what for a lot of people right now in this world, they're always angry. You say, well, I don't see that. You don't see it on the surface. But if you if you've done ministry as long as I have, there are a lot. I don't want to say most or I don't want to because then people will argue with you. But let me just say there are a lot of people who are angry all the time. That's their secret. They don't show it externally, but internally they're angry much of the time. It's boiling right underneath the surface. It's there right underneath the surface. And you, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You are living on the edge. You are functioning in dysfunction. Okay. You are frustrated. You're angry. So my question as we close out here is why do we, why do we stay in bondage to our eternal anger? We're consumed with thoughts like this isn't fair. Why don't I get what, what I want? Everyone else seems to, whatever the words you want to use, it's there, it's underneath the surface, and that's how you're feeling. This relationship is unfair. Why am I stuck in this relationship? Why am I stuck in this job? Why am I stuck in this? Why is this happening? Why can't I? And you're stuck in this constant state of internal anger. And let me share with you something your mom might not share with you, okay? There are three main weaknesses that most people have that cause this. Number one, number one, we lack the ability to see perspective. We lack the ability to see perspective. Jonah is my perfect example of this. Jonah did not see perspective. He, he saw his own perspective. He lived in a temporal worldview instead of an eternal worldview. All right. God says to John, I'm going to walk through this really fast. God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach to Nineveh. I'm not going to get into all the history. You look it up. Okay. Jonah hated the Ninevites, hated them because they, he had a reason to dislike them. He honestly, from a human standpoint, he had a reason to hate them. They, they were murdering, you know, they, they were enemies. They had done horrible things to Israel. He couldn't stand them. So he says to God, not happening. I'm getting on a ship. I'm going to flee to Tarshish. I'm going to go the opposite direction of where you're telling me. He gets on the ship. A storm comes up. They, they cast lots. They find out it's Jonah. He says, throw me over and everything will be fine. They throw him over. He gets swallowed by a giant fish. He gets spit up on shore. While he's underwater, he's like, oh, Lord. He starts, you know, lamenting and talking and, you know, praising. And, and God grabs him in a big fish and spits him up on shore. He gets on shore. Okay. But here's, here's the point. His anger is just right underneath the surface. His anger is right underneath the surface. And Jonah three, he, so his is great. Finally, finally, uh, he does what God wants him to do. And he, and this is what he says to, he's a, he's a prophet. God sends him to preach to this nation to repent. And basically Jonah, basically Jonah says 40 more days and Nineveh is going to be overturned. Thank you very much. I got to go. That was what he said. Real passion there, right? 40 more days. God and, and, and Jonah chapter 3, 10 says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and not bring, about on, not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So Sodom and Gomorrah, no repentance, gone. You all know that story. Nineveh, repentance, God relents from sending calamity. Listen to what it says in chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. But to Jonah... Listen to that. But to Jonah in his bubble, in, his, in himself, to Jonah, perspective. 
to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life for it's better for me to die than to live. Listen, this is the Lord talks to him, but the Lord replied. He asked him a question. Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah doesn't say anything. That doesn't mean anything. It's right below the surface. So God says, are you having a right to be angry? And he's like, whatever. Doesn't say anything. Well, he didn't lose his temper. He just didn't say anything. No, 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 no. It's still right there. Then, you know the story of vine. He's, he goes on top of a hill. He's praying on his, in his own heart that God will change his mind and he can get a good view of watching Nineveh get annihilated by, you know, fire and brimstone. All right. God puts a vine over his head. Jonah says he's happy about the vine. The vine dies. Jonah is no longer happy. Why? Because he wasn't, he had that anger boiling under the surface the entire time. The entire time. And God asks him again, do you have any right to be angry? He says, this this time he says, I'm angry. And he said, he says, I do. He said, I'm angry enough to die. It was because the anger came out. Finally, God asked him the question again, because God wants to bring it to his attention. He says, do you have any right to be angry about this? I am angry enough to die. Like Jonah, we live with the wrong perspective. We live with a temporal perspective. Like this life is the only life. Like this is our home. This is home. And it's not going the way I want it to here in this world in the few years that I have to live here. And we have a temporal perspective and we have that underlying frustration that we're not getting what we want right now instead of having an eternal perspective. That God can use all things in our lives, good, bad, ugly, and indifferent, to glorify himself and to help us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That, for many, is not enough. They want it now and later. Jonah wanted it right now. Kill them all now. And when you don't, my anger is going to be right below the surface. And a little vine, oh, it's shady. The shade goes away. The shade went away. Boo-hoo. And he erupted. God's like, you You have a right to be angry because it was right below the surface. Number two, we lack self-discipline. We lack self-discipline. That's another reason we have that anger right below the surface. Because we lack, remember David? Remember what happened to David when he, when he lacked self-discipline and the, the impact that had on his life? See, the Bible is absolutely clear about this. In Hebrews 12, 11, it tells us this. For, for the moment, all discipline seems painful Rather than pleasant. Let me read that again. For the moment, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. In Proverbs twenty-five twenty-eight, it says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into. And left without walls. See, our lack of discipline, of self-discipline, leads Every single time, our lack of self-discipline leads to a life of constant frustration. Enough is never enough. I want you to think about this. In this world, a temporal worldview, mix these two things together. You have a temporal worldview and now you have no self-discipline. And enough is never enough. We never, we are never content in what we have. And we get, and when, when we don't get more, and we don't get what we want from God or everyone else around us, we get angry. Let me ask you a question. I want you to process it through. This will help you, okay? 
Why do you think those in our country who are getting their way on every single social issue are the angriest people you're ever going to see? I'm frustrated sometimes of what's happening in our country, but I realize, Lord, this is not my home. You never promised me a rose garden. This is probably going to get a lot worse, but your light will shine in the darkness. It will give me an opportunity to shine your light. When it gets darker, the light shines brighter. Okay, I don't lose my cookies. I don't carry on scream bloody murder and wish I were dead. The people who are getting their way on every social issue, watch them. They're the angriest people you're ever going to meet. There are, there are states you can go to right now. You can smoke whatever you want. You can drink whatever you want. You can sleep with, with whoever you want. Not only that, but there are no consequences other than physical consequences that happen. But even if the physical consequence of pregnancy happens, don't worry about it. Got that covered for you. There are no, there are no conse- man consequences for any behavior like that. Why is it that people who want no boundaries and have more freedom to do anything they want without any self-discipline whatsoever, why are they the angriest people walking around? Because this is their only hope. And they have a thirst that cannot be quenched. They have no idea why they're so angry. They have no idea. They think it's your problem. They think if you would just die, all of you would just die and stop pointing out that this may be wrong. That would cure That would bring utopia to their, to their only chance of living, which is this world, the temporal world, this human, this earth. There's no future. They're angry. They have a thirst that cannot be quenched. There, there is no self-discipline. There is only what I want, what I want, what I want more, I want more, I want more. And the more you give them, here, here's, the, here's the reality. Self-discipline is not the roadblock to contentment. It is not the roadblock to contentment. It is the means to contentment. Self-discipline boundaries that God has placed in, put in place is not the roadblock to contentment. It is the means to contentment. They have no clue. And it frustrates the living daylights out of them. And it frustrates the living... Um, let's bring it back to us. It frustrates the living daylights out of us, too, sometimes. Number three, we struggle with self-reflection. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. We are so often... This is where I need you to take a deep breath and don't take it personal. Just hear me, okay? Hear me on this one. We are so we are so angry because of what people do to us or say to us. But does Jeff Greer ever take a step back and ask himself, why are people behaving this way toward me? What am I choosing to do in my life? What behavioral patterns in my life are causing other people to behave or in that way toward me? Maybe they're wrong. Maybe maybe they don't handle it right. Maybe they don't handle it appropriately. The question is, am I doing anything? If this is a pattern for people to say to me, am I doing anything in my life? You, they didn't pick you for the team. Those no kid coach stinks. These kids don't like this ridiculous. Maybe it's because you're a ball hog. Maybe because you're selfish on the field or on the court. Maybe it's because when you do well, you put everyone else down and, and you, you make sure everybody else knows who's the king of the world, the king of the hill, and you put other people down. You lost your job for the third time in two years. Your boss is a moron. Your manager's an idiot. The owner's a total doofus, whatever. You know what I mean? Wait a second. Just think with me for a second. Maybe it's you don't get to work on time. 
Maybe it's you leave early. Maybe you don't finish your projects and maybe you do more talking when you're at work instead of getting and accomplishing what you were asked to accomplish. So your mom won't tell you that. So I'm just being, I love you. And I, honestly, I think to myself, it is wrong to tell people, you're a great singer, you're fantastic, you're the best singer, and you let them go on, on one of these singing shows and make a fool of themselves in front of millions of people. Who told you you could sing? My mom? <laughs> My family said, I'm a great singer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, sweetheart, you know, you're either tone deaf or lying. So why, you got, you got to tell Got to tell people the truth. Just telling you the truth. If you're getting fired five times in a year, maybe it's your behavioral patterns that are causing you to get fired. And I'm only telling you that because I love you. And your boss and your owner or whatever, they're not always just all wrong. Maybe, and here's one, please don't, I don't have any thought in mind. I just pulled it out, whatever. But maybe the reason your kids don't want to come home from college is because you're maybe a little too controlling. Oh, those kids, ungrateful. They're ungrateful. I can't believe that. Blah, 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 blah. Maybe, maybe we're, maybe you're just, maybe you're going to, you know, reflect a little bit on the word of God. Let go a little bit. You know, maybe that's something you need to work on. Not the end of the world, but it's something you need to work on. Maybe we're a little too controlling. See, I can keep getting angry and calling the whole world a bunch of idiots and knuckleheads and morons and stupid or whatever words we want to use. But maybe it's time that I stop doing that. I look at myself in the mirror and I start reflecting on myself and I say, I need to ask myself some difficult questions. God, can you help me answer those questions? Can you help me change? Maybe it's time to get a little bit righteously angry at myself and my own sin. And I need to begin to change. Maybe I need to ask God for that change. Bow your heads with me. We close off here in prayer. God, we just pray that you would help us to reflect on our own lives this morning, not not use a mirror to point at anybody else and blame anybody else. But God, I don't know what issues everyone in the room has, but I know we all have them. And I know you're clear in your word that we need to reflect on our lives to help become more like your son, Jesus Christ. So we pray that you would help us to see our own flaws that are causing us to experience the frustration and the anger that may be right below the surface all the time. We can't control everybody else, Lord. We know that. You, you've taught us that. But we can control our own behavior with your help. So we pray that you would help us, Lord, if we're not pleasing you and how we're reacting and how we're responding to other people. If we're in a constant state of agitation, we pray, dear God, that you would help us to overcome that, that we look into our own hearts and through the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of your resurrection, that you would help us to overcome the flaws in our own lives that are causing some of our anger, our internal anger. Lord God, help us to have the right perspective. Help us to see ourselves with clarity and help us to have the discipline to become more like you. We just pray all these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a fantastic week. I do love you too.